The Yankees taste first, and Yankee Stadium is jammed for a July 4th doubleheader. It's episode 12 of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is. Number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lavallo. We have a lot of ground to cover in Episode 12, uh, nearly two weeks of baseball. So let's get right to it, beginning with Friday, June 23rd. Well, the Yankees arrived in Minnesota, and it was a repeat of Kansas City. Now, when the Bombers arrived in Kansas City on Monday, they learned the Athletics had fired their manager, Joe Gordon, and hired Hank Bauer. Upon arrival in Minnesota, they learned that Twins owner Cal Griffith had fired manager Cookie Lavagetto and replaced him with coach Sam Mealy. Griffith being Griffith, he had a tendency to be parsimonious, hired Mealy for just the remainder of the season. As it turned out, Mealy would still be around to manage Minnesota to the 1965 American League pennant. Griffith was unable to reach Lavagetto with the news that he had been given the heave-ho. Cookie was out fishing, but he would be paid for the rest of the season. Once the game began, 30,930 turned out at Metropolitan Stadium and watched Mealy's twins blast the Yankees 4-0 behind pitcher Camilo Pasquale and Harmon Killebrew. In fact, Killebrew was the Twins' offense, hitting a two-run homer, an RBI single, and an RBI double. The shutout spoiled Yankee Bob Turley's return to the starting rotation for the first time since June 1st. Before the game, Ralph Houck scratched Cleet Boyer from starting at third base because of a sore left shoulder and replaced him with Billy Gardner, who would one day manage the Twins. When the dust cleared after the Twins captured the two-hour and 30-minute game, the Yankees had dropped to 41-25, and two games behind first place Detroit. The Twins were 26-41, and 17.5 games out of first. There were other baseball stories on this date, as Ernie Banks, bothered by a sore knee, sat out a game, ending his 717 consecutive game playing streak. Thus, the National League mark of 895 games remained held by the Cardinals' Stan Musial. And how about this game? Down 11-2 going to the bottom of the eighth, the Phillies rallied in Pittsburgh against the defending world champion Pirates with four runs in the eighth and six runs in the ninth to beat Pittsburgh 12-11. Saturday, June 24th. In front of the largest crowd to ever watch a Major League Baseball game in Minnesota, 35,199, the New York Yankees did not get home runs from Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle, but they did get the long balls from Bill Scourin, Johnny Blanchard, and Elston Howard. Then, after building a 9-3 lead, had to withstand an onslaught by Jim Lemon, who hit two home runs, and Harmon Killebrew, who hit one homer. Starting pitcher Roland Sheldon was chased. Reliever Jim Coates took an early shower. 
But reliable lefty Luis Arroyo calmed the waters, and the Yankees held on for a 10-7 win over the Twins in the three-hour and two-minute ball game. Sheldon, who hurled five and two-thirds innings, gained credit for his fourth victory against three losses. With Detroit downing Cleveland 5-4, the Yanks remained two games in back of the first-place Tigers, while the Indians were five out. Injuries, however, continued to mount for the Yankees. Both Ralph Terry and Cleet Boyer were sent back to New York by manager Houck. Terry reportedly with stiffness in his right shoulder. In fact, stiffness ever since he pitched an 11-inning complete game win in Cleveland. It's something I can't even put my finger on, Terry said. The muscles in my right shoulder stiffened after the game in Cleveland, and instead of getting better, it kept getting worse. It's really hurting, although for the past two days, I haven't even tried to throw a ball. As for Boyer, he had an achy left shoulder. And Fat Cletus said it's been bothering him on and off since the start of spring training. Before the game, the Yankees' Moose Scourin was honored by 5,000 fans from Austin, Minnesota, where the Moose once lived. They gave him a check, and Moose turned the money over to the Mauer County Multiple Sclerosis Society. Finally, more former players announced they would attend the Yankees' Old Timers Day festivities on July 29th. Third baseman Red Rolfe and former Brooklyn pitcher Van Lingo Mungo said they were a go. Others planning to attend, Vic Rashi, Gil McDougald, Roy Campanella, Jackie Robinson, Eddie Stanky, Pee Wee Reese, Dick Bartell, Rube Marquardt, Hal Schumacher, and Bill Terry. The guest of honor, Max Carey, elected during the offseason to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Sunday, June 25th. 35,152 attended for the series finale, and once again they failed to see Mickey Mantle or Roger Maris hit home runs, although the Mick did extend his hitting streak to nine games and has now hit safely in 18 of his last 19 over a stretch where he has batted 370. But Elston Howard homered, knocked in four runs, and Bob Serve hit a round tripper as the Yankees belted the Twins 8-4 to to win the series. Howard's batting average, by the way, up to three sixty-four, second in the league to the Tigers' Norm Cash, who's hitting three seventy-seven. Cash also leading the league and runs battered in with 66, and his 24 homers, second to the 27 belted by Maris. Bill Stafford pitched the distance for the victory in the two-hour and 28-minute ball game, although he served up a prodigious two-run homer to Harmon Killebrew that landed behind the bleachers in left field. It was Killebrew's 22nd homer of the season and third in three games. The Yankees, well, they continued to draw. The three-game series attracted 101,181. That's good news for the Twins, but won just eight of their last 37 games. Now next for the Yankees, get on a plane and head to Los Angeles, where they were to open a three-game series against those Angels. Meanwhile, the Tigers and Indians were making news as Cleveland outfielder Jim Pearsall and Detroit pitcher Jim Bunning got into a brouhaha. Pearsall charging the mound after being hit on the wrist by a Bunning pitch. According to reports... Bunning ducked when Pearsall unleashed a left hook, and Pearsall landed on the ground, legs kicking. 
No one was ejected, although, imagine that, let me repeat that, nobody was ejected, although both benches emptied. But the wrist injury did keep Pearsall out of the second game of the doubleheader. Quote, that guy has hit me six or seven times. I'm tired of it. He'd better stop throwing at people or somebody's going to get him. I'm going to demand a hearing before I pay any fine on this one. End quote, Pearsall stated. As for Bunning, quote, you don't think I'd be throwing at anyone with us leading and two guys on base? That wouldn't make any sense. With Detroit and Cleveland splitting the doubleheader, the 43-25 Yanks were in second, a game and a half behind Detroit. Cleveland remained five back. Monday, June 26th. It was the only game on the American League schedule, and they turned out on a Monday night at Wrigley Field in Los Angeles, some 18,870 strong, to watch the Yankees and the Angels in a real thriller. Whitey Ford against Ken McBride. In the second inning, Mickey Mantle slugged his 23rd home run of the season, a 412-foot shot over the wall in center. But the Yankees needed a Johnny Blanchard two-run homer in the eighth to tie the game 5-5. The lead didn't last long as former Yankee Ken Hunt homered in the bottom of the eighth to break the deadlock. On came Jim Donahue to protect the lead in the ninth, but he walked Roger Maris and Mantle in succession. Still, the Yankees were down to their last out when Bill Scourin saved the day, connecting on a three-run homer, a 400-foot blast into the center field bleachers. And Luis Arroyo pitched a perfect ninth. The Yankees had a dramatic 8-6 to six win over the Angels in two hours and 42 minutes. Although Ford allowed six runs over eight innings, he picked up the victory, improving to 13-2. and two. The win placed the Yankees 19 games over 500, a 44-25 record, one game behind the first-place Tigers. Meanwhile, Dallas Green pitched three scoreless innings in relief, saving a shutout for starter Jim Owens as the Phillies blanked the Giants 1-0, dropping third-place San Francisco five games behind the first-place Reds in the National League pennant race. The Dodgers were in second, three games out. Green, of course, would someday manage the Yankees, the Mets, the Cubs, and the Phillies, whom he guided to the 1980 World Series title. And it was announced following a more than 10-hour meeting in Chicago that the National League had agreed on a plan to stock their two new clubs for next season, the New York Mets and the Houston Colts. Seven players from each existing club's 25-man roster would be made available. The American League owners also met in Chicago and saluted Bill Veck, who recently sold his portion of the Chicago White Sox. Tuesday, June 27th. Mickey Mantle extended his hitting streak to 11 games, but shoddy Yankees defense cost the Bombers a chance to move into first place for only the second time this season. Meanwhile, Eddie Yost belted a three-run homer and knocked in another run with a single. And Ken Hunt added a three-run blast all off of Yankee starter Bud Daly. And the Los Angeles Angels beat the Yankees 7-6 to in front of 16,108 at Wrigley Field in a game that took two hours and 43 minutes to play. Daly lasted just five innings, followed by Jim Coates and Raleigh Sheldon. The Yankees did show some power as Bob Serve homered for the second straight game, his sixth blast of the campaign, and newly acquired Billy Gardner homered, 
the only home run the Connecticut native would hit for the 61 Yankees. Gardner continues to play third base in place of the injured Cleet Boyer. Meanwhile, the surging Chicago White Sox, positioned near the bottom of the standings for most of the season, made it 12 straight victories with a doubleheader sweep of the first-place Tigers. That's right, and they did it before 57,271 fans at Tiger Stadium. Detroit now owned a 45-26 mark. The Yankees were in second at 44-26, a half game back. Cleveland in third at 41-31, four and a half games out. And the White Sox and Orioles tied for fourth at 38-34, and seven and a half games behind. Baseball Commissioner Ford Frick also in the news. Frick and the 20-team baseball owners agreed it was time to restrict the record bonus money being doled out to amateur ballplayers. Put that into context with today's game. Frick announced he would form a committee to examine the large money being handed out to so-called bonus babies. In other words, the owners were asking the commissioner to save them from themselves. The commissioner also announced the 1962 All-Star Game would be played in Washington, D.C. In fact, you can watch 25 minutes of the actual TV coverage of that game on YouTube with Mel Allen and Joe Garagiola calling the game. Allen, of course, was the venerable voice of the New York Yankees who would be dismissed after the 1964 season, only to be replaced by Garagiola. The New York Mets also announced they were in negotiations with the owner of the San Francisco Giants, Horace Stoneham, who still owned the Polo Grounds. The Mets had to admit their new ballpark in Flushing Meadows would not be ready for the 1962 season, and so they were hoping to cut a deal with Stoneham to play in the Polo Grounds, where polo was not played. Wednesday, June 28th. As President Kennedy called for the Soviet premier, in this case Nikita Khrushchev, to allow a divided Berlin to decide its future, the Yankees were about to wrap up their longest road trip of the season in Los Angeles. In a three-hour and three-minute game, in front of 14,674, former Yankee Ryan Duran exacted revenge on his ex-team. Starting the game against Bob Turley, Duran yielded a run in the fourth, but during a five-run sixth, that featured a three-run homer by little Albie Pearson, Duran delivered a two-run bases-loaded single off of Turley. Then on the ninth, after serving up a two-run homer to Mickey Mantle, Mantle's 24th home run of the season, Duran was relieved by Jim Donahue, and the Angels held on for a 5-3 to victory. All was not lost, however, as Yogi Berra collected the 2,000th hit of his career and received a standing ovation from the crowd. In fact, time was called, and the ball was presented to Yogi by umpire Joe Lynn Salata. With Detroit beating the White Sox, ending Chicago's 12-game winning streak, the first-place Tigers held a game-and-a-half edge over the 44-27 and Yankees. In other news, venerable 79-year-old baseball executive Branch Rickey suffered his second heart attack in three years while in Ontario, Canada, on a fishing trip and was placed in an oxygen tent at Sudbury Memorial Hospital, where he was ordered hospitalized for three weeks. And baseball commissioner Ford Frick visited Houston, where the National League, of course, is expanding in 1962. The commissioner stated that he had been hearing reports that baseball was dying, but called that, quote, a lot of bunk. 
Frick pointed out the National League drew nearly 11 million fans in 1960 and the American League almost 10 million fans. Thursday, June 29th, with President Kennedy meeting with his top advisors over the growing crisis in Berlin, the New York Yankees were enjoying their first day off since May 23rd, although they had to endure a cross-country flight first. But Roger Maris was hoping the sight of Yankee Stadium's short right field porch on Friday night would do him good. Maris belted 14 homers in the month of June, but none since June 22nd. And word was that the injured Ralph Terry and Cleet Boyer were on the mend and could be returning soon. But the Tigers were winners again, dropping the Yanks two games out of first. In the National League, meanwhile, Willie Mays slugged three home runs in the first game of a doubleheader with five RBI, then had a double and triple with two RBI in the nightcap as the Giants swept a twin bill from the Phillies 8-7 and 4-1, moving into second place percentage points ahead of the Dodgers and just two and a half games behind the first place Reds. And the Mets announced that they had signed eight college and high school players to bonus contracts, including a six-foot, two-and-a-half-inch, 197-pound, 18-year-old high school catcher by the name of Hank McGraw, who was also a standout in track, basketball, and football. And rumors were already circulating that Gil Hodges would be made available in the expansion draft during the offseason and that the Mets would select him. Friday, June 30th. The Yankees were back home about to launch an 11-game homestand, including a big July 4th doubleheader against the Tigers. But first up, the Washington Senators in front of 28,819. And in a tidy one hour, 56 minutes, Whitey Ford tossed a complete game five hitter, and the Yankees topped the expansionist Nats 5-1, to one, Whitey notching his 14th win of the season against two defeats. Ford also established an American League record. No Southpaw in the AL had won eight straight games in June until Ford. The game was highlighted by Mickey Mantle's 25th home run of the season, a two-run inside the park homer that bounced off the center field wall to the right of the 461-foot sign and caromed away from outfielder Willie Tasby. Roger Maris also added three RBI for the Bombers, who remained two games behind the first-place Tigers with a 45-27 and record. Meanwhile, add George Selkirk, Johnny Murphy, Zach Wheat, and Jerry Coleman to the July 29th Old-Timers Day festivities. Saturday, July 1st. As Yankees fans prepared to listen to the Yankees-Senators game on radio or watch on television, it was interesting to note, as Vin Scully would say, that Lee DeForest, radio pioneer, died at the age of 87. He invented the Audion Tube, which paved the way for radio and television. Meanwhile, at Yankee Stadium, 24,144 turned out on Ladies' Day and watched the Eminem boys rise to the occasion. As the calendar turned to July, Roger Maris belted a home run into the right field seats with Tony Kubek on base, lifting the Yanks to a come-from-behind 7-6 victory over the Senators. It was his 28th home run of the season and first in nine days. Earlier in the game, Mickey Mantle clubbed two homers, giving him 27 on the campaign. 
Both homers were bombs deep into the left field bleachers as Mantle joined Joe DiMaggio and Bill Scourin as the only players to hit two home runs into the distant left field bleachers some 457 feet away in the same game. Mantle's first home run, by the way, was also the 1,000th RBI of his career. The game itself actually turned on three pitches. Reliever Luis Arroyo entered in the ninth inning and needed one pitch to record his third out. Senators reliever Dick Sisler threw two pitches, a single to Kubek and a home run to Maris. It was an interesting game which saw the Senators place four infielders to the right of second base when Mantle batted lefty in the seventh inning. He walked, stole second, and scored on an Elston Howard single. Take that, you analytics crowd. Meanwhile, the Tigers remained hot, beating Baltimore and keeping the 46-27 and 27 Yankees two games out of first. It was also announced that Mantle, Maris, and Kubek would start for the American League in the All-Star Game on July 11th at San Francisco and July 31st in Boston. Remember, they were still playing two All-Star Games in a season back then. Willie Mays, Roberto Clemente, and future Yankees broadcaster Bill White were among those earning starting nods for the National League. And speaking of stars, more invitations were accepted for the Yankees' old-timers day on July 29th from Frank Home Run Baker, Frankie Frisch, Wade Hoyt, Tommy Holmes, Mickey Owen, and Travis Jackson. Sunday, July 2nd. Headline News. Renowned novelist Ernest Hemingway found dead in his Idaho home of a shotgun wound. He was 61. His wife claimed the death was an accident as he was shot while cleaning his weapon. Meanwhile, on a sizzling day that featured 95-degree heat, 19,794 fans turned out at Yankee Stadium, pushing the Bombers over the half-million mark in season's attendance at home at 507,415. And Cleet Boyard declared himself ready to return to the lineup. He wasn't needed on this day, however, as New York pounded out 12 hits, including two home runs from Roger Maris and one from Mickey Mantle, and routing the Senators 13-4. For Maris, home runs number 29 and 30 placed him eight games and 12 days ahead of the pace set by Babe Ruth when he slugged a record 60 homers in 1927. Mantle's homer was his 28th. Bill Scourin and Elston Howard also went yard in the two-hour and 42-minute ball game, which starting pitcher Bud Daly was the beneficiary for his sixth win of the year against 10 losses. Remember, he began the season with Kansas City. With first place Detroit losing, the second-place Yankees were just one game out, with the Tigers coming to the stadium for that big July 4th doubleheader. The Yanks are now 47-27. and 27. Meanwhile, two clubs traded outfielders on this date as the Phillies sent Bobby Del Greco to the Kansas City A's for Wes Covington, who the previous month had beaten the Yankees with a walk-off home run. Also making news on this date, the Boston Red Sox, who signed a player from Brooklyn to a contract that included an undisclosed bonus. A shortstop, third baseman, and pitcher for Sheepshead Bay High School, the 18-year-old would report to the Red Sox Eastern League Club in 1962. Perhaps you heard of him. Brico Petroselli. Monday, 
July 3rd. In Manila, two million people turned out to honor General of the U.S. Army Douglas MacArthur. The Indians announced they had purchased Ken Aspromonte from the L.A. Angels for $20,000. They lost Aspromonte to the Angels in the expansion draft, but got $75,000 in losing him. Aspromonte would one day go on to manage the Indians. The Yankees were enjoying their second day off in five days. Meanwhile, gamesmanship was at play as manager Ralph Houck and Tigers manager Bob Sheffing refused to announce their starting pitchers for the first game of that big July 4th doubleheader the next day at the stadium. Houck said Whitey Ford and Bob Turley would be the starters, and Sheffing announced Yankee nemesis Frank Larry and Don Mossy would get the starts for Detroit. But as to the first game, here's what Houck said. I'm not saying whether I intend to pitch Ford in the first game or second game. I don't see any reason why I should give anything away. He, meaning Sheffing, could keep one of his pitchers in the nice, cool hotel room during the first game and have him arrive at the stadium just before the start of the second game. Nothing doing. Let him guess. When Hawk was told Sheffing intended to have Mossy oppose Ford, he said of Sheffing, Well, he can just bring them both to the ballpark and let them wait until I had my lineup to the plate just before the start of the first game. Then he can find out our rotation. Whoa! Imagine that incidentally happening in 2021. By the way, lifetime against the Yankees, Larry was 25-9 and and Mossy 9-1. and It was announced, by the way, that Ford and Larry had been added to the American League All-Star squad. In other words, in less than two weeks, they'd be teammates. Meanwhile, the advanced ticket sale for the July 4th doubleheader was listed at 31787 Tuesday, July 4th, Independence Day. The beaches were packed, the skies were partly cloudy, and the temperature reached 82 degrees. The Kennedy administration ordered that 4th of July celebrations at U.S. embassies around the world would be curtailed compared to previous years as a cost-saving measure. At Yankee Stadium, however, the cash registers, they were ringing as 74,246 fans, the largest crowd at Yankee Stadium since 1947, turned out to watch the Yankees and Tigers in the big twin bill. Counting servicemen, who were admitted free, the total attendance was 75,900. On May 26, 1947, the Yankees and Red Sox drew 74,747 for a night game at the stadium. Major traffic jams snarled traffic outside the stadium. And why not? More than 40,000 showed up to buy tickets the day of the game, on top of the advance of more than 31,000. Ralph Hawk did have a first-game starter, and his name was Whitey Ford, who hurled his ninth consecutive victory, a complete game five-hitter, and improved to 15-2 and in the Yankees' 6-2 win over the Tigers in a two-hour and 20-minute ball game. The Yanks busted the game open with a six-run fifth, knocking out starter Don Mossy, who fell to 9-2 and on the campaign. The win put the Yankees in first place. In the second game, it was Frank Larry against Bob Turley, and it was a thriller. The game was interrupted in the seventh inning when, as the New York Times reported, quote, a delegation of Cubans waving anti-Castro banners dashed on the field and held up play several minutes while police rounded them up. They were placed under arrest. 
As for the game, trailing 2-0 in the eighth, the Bombers tied it on a two-run homer into the right field seats by Roger Maris off of Larry, his 31st homer of the season. In the ninth inning, the Tigers took a 3-2 lead, and are you ready for this? A triple steal! But in the last of the ninth, with one out, the Yankees launched a rally and scratched out a run on a pinch-hit infield single by Hector Lopez. That set the game into the 10th, with Bill Stafford, the Yankees' fifth pitcher of the day, on the mound. With two outs and a runner on first, Detroit got a ground rule double from Dick Brown. Then Larry, batting for himself, imagine this, batting for himself, dropped a two-out bunt. And Steve Burrows slid in safely under the tag by Johnny Blanchard to take a 4-3 lead. On to the last of the 10th. Tony Kubek opened the frame with a single, and Larry was lifted for southpaw reliever Hank Gagari. Maris popped out on the infield, but Kubek advanced to second on a passed ball. That led to a walk to Mickey Mantle. Yogi Berra then flied out to deep center, Kubek advancing to third. Sheffing then brought in righty reliever Terry Fox, who got scouring on a flyout to right, and the Tigers were back in first by one game following the three-hour and 29-minute thriller. Who would not have wanted to have been at that doubleheader? Wish I was. The Yankees held a 48-28 and record, while the Tigers were 50-28. and In the National League, at 49-29, and Cincinnati was in first place by two games over the Dodgers, five and a half over the Giants, and eight over the defending world champion Pittsburgh Pirates. Wednesday, July 5th. The Yankees and Indians locked horns in a weekday afternoon game in front of 24,377. That's a good turnout. Roger Maris slugged his 32nd home run of the season, and Raleigh Sheldon tossed a complete game four-hitter for his first Major League shutout as the Bombers won 6 to nothing in a tidy 2 hours and 11 minutes. The Maris home run in the 8th was a solo shot and rounded out the scoring as Sheldon improved to 5-2. and two. Bill Scourin, who suffered a contusion at the end of his spine, sliding into second base in the first game of the Tuesday doubleheader against the Tigers, sat while Earl Torgerson started at first. It was also CYO Day at the stadium, as 5,000 members of the New York Archdiocese turned out to honor Tony Kubek as their most popular Yankee. Past winners included Mickey Mantle, twice, Gail McDougald, twice, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, Joe DiMaggio, Phil Rizzuto, Hank Bauer, and Eddie Lopat. With the Tigers splitting a day-night doubleheader, the Yankees at 49-28 and were just a half game out of first, while the Indians were in third place, six and a half games behind. Also on this date, Bill White, who would someday go on to be a Yankees broadcaster and team up with Phil Rizzuto in the booth to be one of the most popular broadcast duos in Yankees history, Bill White slugged three homers in the Cardinals' 9-1 to victory at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. Remember, White was going to start in the All-Star game for the National League. Thursday, July 6th, some 37,136 fans turn out for the finale of this brief two-game series. And for the second straight day, a Yankees pitcher hurls a complete game shutout. This time, 22-year-old Bill Stafford tossed a two-hitter, facing only 28 batters, one over the minimum. 
and the Yankees blank the Indians 4 nothing in an even two-hour ball game. As Mel Allen would say, how about that? Elston Howard slugged two solo home runs, one to left and one to right. The win lifted Stafford's record to 7-4. and four. Or as Phil Rizzuto would say, holy cow. Maybe the Yankees were helped by Ralph Branca. Before the game, the former Brooklyn Dodgers pitcher donned a Yankees uniform and threw 15 minutes of batting practice. Branca said he did it in an effort to start losing weight. As for the Yankees, the win, their 50th against 28 defeats. But they remained a half game behind the Tigers, who defeated the Red Sox again. Meanwhile, another manager bit the dust. So why would this have a Yankees connection? The St. Louis Cardinals struggling with a 33-42 and record, 15 and a half games behind the Reds, fired manager Solly Hemus and replaced him with Johnny Keane, who had been the top coach for Hemus and before that managed in the Cardinals' farm system for 20 seasons. Keane signed a contract through the end of the 62 season. There were rumblings that Hemus and Keane, who managed Hemus in the minor leagues, were no longer on speaking terms. And when asked whether he felt Keene had undermined him, Hemus would not comment. Said GM Bing Devine at a news conference, quote, we feel a change is called for before an extended losing pattern becomes fixed. Extended losing pattern? The Cardinals were nine games under 500, Bing. As for Keene, here's what he had to say. The way we have been losing makes it apparent that we have a morale problem. But it may have been Hemus who said it best. If you don't win, you don't stay. The Cards were so excited about the managerial change, they went out and got pounded by the Dodgers 10-1 as Don Drysdale tossed a complete Game 5 hitter for his seventh win against five defeats. Keene, of course, would manage the Cardinals to a seven-game World Series win over the Yankees three seasons later, then be hired the next season as Yankees manager only to be fired in 1966 after New York got off to a 4-16 and start. Well, that is going to do it for our latest Baseball 61 podcast. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also visit Baseball61.com. And as always, thanks for listening. I'm Dan Lavallo.